Well, good morning and happy new year, Mosaic. Um, I hope you had a great Christmas with your family. My name is Wendell Williams, and I serve as the student or the pastor of student ministries here at Mosaic. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, and you know, it's funny, my wife and I have been here, a part of this body, a part of this local body, for since we were 17 years old. Um, it's crazy. God has done so much in, in that time. We are a, a family now of carried one five and it will be six uh come may 2019 and we both came to know christ as college students at the university of texas through our our campus ministry and before i jump into what i I believe god has for us this morning i want to tell you what next week is going to look like we're going to begin a new series it's going to cover the first two weeks of the year and it's called great faith And we're going to look at what it'll take to meet all the challenges we'll face in the year ahead. And if you didn't know, um, as John said earlier, today is is the the last Sunday of the year. Um, This is also known internationally as the student pastor preaching day. You didn't know that. So happy International Student Preacher Day to you and yours. but no, I, I, I'm so appreciative of, um, of our leaders here at the church and, and, and growing and developing people. That's what we do. God has called us to do that, to call the things that are inside of them out, um, help them walk into, help you walk into your destiny. And if you see me get excited and stop looking at my notes, then you know, just roll with me. Just, just roll with me. I already felt it. I'm come, trying to come back to it. Um, but I'm going to ask you a question this morning. And the question is a, it's a simple one. You don't have to get your, your religious hat on yet. This is a simple question. If you could have any song play after entering a room, what would it be? What would it be? Now, y'all laughing because some of y'all were prepared. You already had a song. Okay. Here's what I'm going to press you to do. Turn to your neighbor on either side, you choose, and share what that song was. If you could have a song play after entering a room, what would it be? <laughs> Couple of y'all still looking at me. Turn to your neighbor and tell him the song. Tell him the song. <laughs> oh, I'm so ready for this next part. All right, so here's, here's the question, then the follow-up question. Is anyone bold enough to share an appropriate, an appropriate song that you would like to play as you enter into a room? Ms. Sheila got her hand up first. What you got, Ms. Sheila? Yeah, yeah, amen, amen, amen. Somebody back there with the hand up, what you got? Hey! Yeah, yeah, amen, amen. Hey, I didn't tell her to do that. I'm just, we here though, the Lord knew. What about somebody over here? Boom, what you got? (laughs) 
That's, keep going. Don't keep going. Keep, keep going. We got time. That's, that's, that's my song. That, man, that is my song. But it's, oh my goodness. The Lord, man, the Lord knew. Um, but what's so interesting about songs, right, is they can evoke emotion. They can help bring us into whatever the moment is, right? Like, it can kind of be a, a, a lead into what is going to come next. Like, if a bride or a bridal party is about to walk in, right, there's a song that plays. If a football team or a sports team is about to come out, there's a song that plays. And it kind of sets the expectation or the tone for what's to come. And what I'd like for us to do today is to take a look at three things, three songs, really. The wrong song, making up lyrics, and a new song. (laughs) And y'all laughing like y'all seen my notes. What's going on? All right. And so I want to throw this out to you, generationally speaking. It used to be that older generations impacted younger generations without question. A lot of the research that's coming out lately is saying that what younger generations do is actually actually impacting what older generations do. And so what I want us to consider this morning is the songs that we're singing and what we're communicating to future generations about what matters the most. So first we'll look at the wrong song. And we're going to do that by looking at Ecclesiastes. Um, I, I love Ecclesiastes because I think it's just a real, it's just real talk. And for ages, generations have attempted and reattempted to define themselves by similar things. And in classic fashion, the book of Ecclesiastes does just that. It's widely believed that King Solomon wrote it. There's some that believe that, some that don't. But regardless, he enters, the writer enters a room with a a song. And the song is somewhat depressing. Um, (laughs) And we'll read it together. It says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. 
It's very different from the songs we were singing earlier, right? And in these first few verses, it can pretty much seem like it's a waste of time, right? That if what we did in the past, if what happened in the past doesn't matter, if what we're doing now doesn't matter, and what we're going to do in the future won't be remembered, then what difference does it make what we do, what song we sing? And the word that's used in Ecclesiastes 38 times, more than half of the times that it's used in the Old Testament, is the Hebrew word hebel. And it means vapor. And when you think vapor, think of steam or or smoke coming off of a match. You see it dissipates, it's fleeting. It's where we get the word vanity, which is translated as meaningless or futility. And the, the writer of Ecclesiastes continues with his quest to try and figure out all of life. And he explores it how many of us do, many of us have. And that's in four ways. One is to be the smartest smart guy. He gets a PhD. If, if formal education existed back then, he gets a PhD in being intelligent. Pleasure. All there is to have to enjoy in life, he goes after. Like, if you think you know how to party or knew how to party, he took it to another level. The same with possessions. You think you got a lot of stuff? I rode in a Tesla over the Christmas break. Really nice. But that was nothing compared to the possessions that the writer of Ecclesiastes had. And popularity. Even after all that, he tries popularity. And it's still leaves them wanting. And verse 16 begins like this. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. But he didn't stop. He went on to to pleasure. And he said to himself, come, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. Anybody been there? So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it to seek pleasure? After much thought, I declared to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. And from pleasure to possessions. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me, more than anybody. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers 
both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. And he goes on to explore something else, popularity. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. And that song continues to be sing, <clears throat> sung. He looks at it at the end, still wasn't happy, still wasn't fulfilled. And he says, it's all vanity. As he looked at his education, as he looked at his possessions, his pleasure, his popularity, he still ended with, but as I looked at everything, I had worked so hard to accomplish. I worked so hard to accomplish. It was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. And if you've been around church or religion for a small amount of time, you'll likely recognize that theme, the pattern of, of people coming to the understanding that life is not about those things. Right? And pursuing those things as an end, it's not going to leave you satisfied. Yet, for some reason, we often drift back to this pattern, even in recognizing the futility of it. But this writer, still at the very end, after he's tried all this, he still ends at fear God and keep his commandments. And it can seem like the wrong song, right? If we're singing that, that same old tune that's been sung for ages. The younger generations watch and listen. They study us, right? More than what we say, more than how we reprimand, more they watch how mom and dad interact when they're not on the same page. When there's a, a challenge that's entered into the marriage, but our God can restore it. Says you saw earlier today. He can restore it. In 2018, man, I know it's been tough for a, a lot of folks, but the fact is that vanity should drive us to take refuge in God, whose work endures forever, and who is a rock for those who take shelter in Him. And that's the song (laughs) that people started singing, not knowing what it was, and just kept on singing it forever, just because. But sometimes when we fail to communicate what God has done, and I don't mean once or twice, I don't mean only at Christmas, I don't mean only at celebrations, but just in our daily living. What happens is those that are watching us, right, they can miss the point. They can start singing the wrong song. And I don't know what you know about millennials and Gen Z. I'll tell you a little bit in a minute. But they don't wait for somebody to tell them how to do it. They come in and show up on the scene thinking they know how to do it already. And 
in doing that, right, what happens is you start making up the parts that you don't know. I don't know if anybody, anybody ever heard of involuntary musical imagery? No. Not me neither. Before, yeah, I mean, me neither. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of it as stuck song syndrome. Oh, everybody like, okay, okay. All right, let me try one more. Earworms. Earworm. Okay. All right. And it's, if you haven't heard of any of those, because some of y'all are like, oh, what is what? It's a universal phenomenon of having music looping in one's head. And if you've ever had a song stuck in your head, then you know there are a few tried and true methods of getting it out. <laughs> you can distract your mind by doing something like chewing a piece of gum. But one of the surefire ways, I've tried this, it works, is to finish the song. It's to close the loop. But that's a difficult task when you don't actually know the song. <laughs> and so as they're trying to figure it out, they are encouraged, if not by you, by culture, to take the pieces of songs they like, fit them together, form new truths, more personal truths, and fill in the gaps for themselves. So who, who, who are they? Who, who is this, this Gen Z? Real quick, I'm not going to bore you with a whole lot of statistics and information about them, but here's some things to know about them. As of now, they're considered those to be born between 1999 and 2015. Here's what's really astounding to me. There's almost 70 million of them. 70 million. That gives some perspective on how they can influence older generations, right? There's a lot of them. They are the most diverse generation in U.S. history. They do not see diversity unless it's absent or missing. And in a post-Christian, post-modern environment, they're growing up in a world where many of them have not been exposed to Christianity or church. So the good thing is many of them are blank slates when it comes to faith and spirituality. But the other part of that is they're also considered the first generation to not need you for access to information. Now, if you think, oh, man, well, if they don't need me, then cool. I'm going to go kick it on the beach. Nah, that's just the first half. They don't need you for access to the information. But what they need you for is the wisdom on how to use it, how to apply it, because they don't know. Another marker of their generation is the rise of the nuns. They don't affiliate with anything. They're not necessarily hostile towards religion or church, but it's more of an absence of belief. What's interesting is two-thirds of them identify as Christian, but only 4% have a biblical worldview. 4%. And to the teenagers in the room, the children in the room, if the fact that you're in this room and you're a believer, you're following mom, dad, aunt, uncle, 
growing in your faith. I encourage you. I commend you. I'm proud of you. I love you because you're in the minority and it's hard. And so how do we help you? How do we help you have a more robust experience of what it means to follow Jesus in an increasingly skeptical culture? And really, I, I think it, it comes to this. And that's for us. That's really for all of us because there's generations that are going to come after our young people. And that's to sing a new song. You know, when Job was going through all that Job was going through and his friends and his community were trying to give him answers, he had a moment where he paused and he recognized this. He said that you ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. We're going to take a look at a a, a new song in Psalm 145. And then at the end, I would like for us to, to just read it, not no, proclaim it together. Um, psalm 145 is a, a, a great hymn of praise. It's also the last psalm in the book of Psalms that was written by David, the great king of Israel. And in this song, David, to God, praises and honors him as the great king over all that exists. And it's, it's an acrostic poem with each verse beginning with a successive letter. So A something, B something, you know, you follow me? Yes. Yes, all right, perfect. And the verses of the psalm praise God for his attributes and his acts, who God is and all that he's done. And in Jewish, it's a Jewish religious practice that this psalm was recited twice in the morning and once in the evening. To not only encourage us to praise God, but it also gives us good reasons to do so. It even gives us vocabulary to it, help us express our praise. The whole psalm inspires us to affectionately praise God, praise the great king of the universe. And so I'm going to read Psalm 145. But as I do, I would like for you to consider 2018. Maybe play back some of those tough times, that news that you didn't want to hear. the things that went awry in your relationships, the finances that maybe didn't come through. And as you think about those things, I'll read Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. 
I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you. Lord and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and the glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. And I ask you to meditate, to think about those things, 2018. And I hope that these words cut through. And we're going to close by, by, if you would, standing with me and, and reading Psalm 145. But I, I keep saying reading. I don't mean read. I mean proclaim. Because this 2018 is coming to an end. Got one more day. 2019. All that you have in mind, all that God has in mind for you, we can walk into with expectation and trust in his promises. And so if we could read Psalm 145, then I'll close this in prayer. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell his children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. If you'll bow your heads and pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your promises, Lord. Would you help us to remember them as we close out 2018? Would you begin to give us great faith as we walk into 2019? Would you help us tell the story 
proclaim as David did all that you've done about who you are and that we would be more like you as we see more of you. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray.